Welcome to Stories of Recovery. My name is Robbie Frawley, and on this podcast, I interview people who have experienced and recovered from brain-related conditions such as stroke, concussion, chronic pain, and traumatic brain injury. We discuss their story and highlight the things which have been most beneficial and most important in their recovery. This might be specific treatments or medical professionals that were most crucial. It could be books, knowledge or advice which they were given or which they found along the way, or even particular habits, attitudes or practices that help them the most. If you or someone you care about is struggling to recover from one of these or another brain-related condition, the podcast was really made with you in mind. I want you to know that others have been where you are now and that they have gotten better. You can recover and hopefully in the interviews that follow, you'll hear a thing or two which resonate and which help you to do just that. So who am I? Well, I'm a young man who grew up in country Victoria, Australia, and I've had a number of concussions growing up playing sport. After the last one, which was over seven years ago now, I developed something called post-concussion syndrome. I'd never even heard of this, but it left me with ongoing fatigue, headaches, nausea, vertigo, cognitive fog, overwhelm, and sensitivity to impact. It had a really dramatic effect on my life, and it took many years, much effort, and great assistance from others to fully recover from it. And now that I am back to 100%, and again have some surplus energy, I'd like to help you in any way I can to get you back to good health. My hope is that we can provide some light at the end of the tunnel for you and also give you some useful tips and tricks that might help you along the way. Now, one thing to remember is that the brain is a really marvellous thing and you can get better. Now, I've left in as much of the context, detail and information in these interviews as possible, which means they can be quite long but they are split into key chapters to make it easier to listen and to help you to focus on what you need to hear right now. And remember that you can pause and come back to the story in as many small bites as you need. Now, without further ado, let's jump into it. In this episode, I'm speaking with Trevor Barker, a former electrician and now support coordinator from northeastern Victoria, who following a minor workplace injury, developed and lived with debilitating chronic lower back pain for over 20 years. His eventual recovery came swiftly through education and he now works with some of the world's leading pain scientists and educators to share his story and encourage others to learn more and to make meaningful change in their own lives. Trevor has appeared on SBS's Insight program as well as contributing to various podcasts, radio and print media and continues to share and champion recovery from persistent pain. This conversation took place in May 2021 at his home in Katamatite on the lands of the Bangarang and Yorta people of northeastern Victoria. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening to this conversation. I wish you courage and energy on your own journey forward, and I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation. Cheers.
here we are, Trevor. Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to be here speaking with you after quite a while now. We met about just over 12 months ago in Geelong um, after you'd just given a pretty powerful speech about your experience living with and recovering from chronic pain. Um, And that had a real impact on me. And whilst this podcast was still really just a thought in my mind at that point, I knew that your story was something that I wanted to delve into in more detail and it was also something that needed to be shared more widely. So thank you very much for agreeing to to speak with me and, and for having me here in your beautiful home. So to kick off, if you could describe to me what your life looked like before the initial injury. So paint me a picture of, you know, what did that look like day to day? Yeah, so I left school at about 15 and did a, an electrical apprenticeship and I was working in that trade. Um, I had friends, I was loved playing tennis um, and playing the flute and other things. So I had a, a pretty pretty full life at that stage. And my first injury was uh, while I was working as an electrical apprentice and I was carrying a long extension ladder uh, from one location to another. And while I was halfway through that carrying the ladder, the top of it hit a beam and, uh, on the roof and I had to bend back to get it past the beam, stood it up, and uh, after three days, I started to experience quite a bit of pain. Now, my response to that was to be quiet and not say anything. Um, so I took some sick leave, uh, went and saw the doctor who gave me some paracetamol and some anti-inflammatories and uh, went and saw a physio, back to work in a couple of weeks. Um and that was my first experience of low back pain um, and uh, really had an x-ray at that stage and the x-ray showed a bulging disc. Really wasn't quite sure what that that meant, but, you know, I was 18 or 19 um, and I was just wanting to get back to work. So I got back to work, finished my apprenticeship and got married and then I had, Two or three other jobs and had a family, um, had my first daughter. And then life started to get quite challenging for me. Um, I started in my late 20s, I started to remember being abused as a child. And that put me in in a really difficult place of having to deal with a lot of psychological distress. Mm-hmm. And it was then that I really got out of being employed. I, I had to stop work to deal with this stuff and retrain um, and and got into attendant care work working with people with disabilities and acquired brain injury. And it was at that stage in my early 30s that uh, I injured my back uh, for the second time. And had you had pain? So the initial one was in when you were like 18, 19. 
had you had issues with your back? In uh, the yeah, lingering through through my twenties, you but know, nothing sort of that you were concerned about. No, not not especially. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd be taking painkillers and um, adapting my uh, lifestyle in a sense of not lifting as much or yeah, moving sure. as much, just slowly starting to modify things at at that stage. Um, and then in my early 30s, I, I had this incident where um, I had a client that was, we were out in, a, in the community and it was the day the orangutan got out at the Melbourne Zoo and I happened to be at the Melbourne Zoo and we were, um, my client was in a wheelchair, um, quite a large man, and we we got herded into the back of the butterfly enclosure. And um, to cut a long story short, uh, we ended up having to leave the zoo and go back to his um, the hospital where he was living, and the taxi that was transporting us broke down, um, and. I needed to transfer him out of the car into his wheelchair and we're, we're in Northcote and people know Northcote, lots of bluestone, cobblestone gutters. Yeah. So the wheelchair was, you know, in a precarious position, just jammed between the taxi and the gutter and my client just had had enough of that stage, gave up on the transfer and started to fall forwards. And as he did that, I grabbed him and pulled him back to regain the balance and pull him into the chair and I felt something go twang in the back. Um, and it, and at that stage, a few days later, I was in a serious world of pain um, and back to the doctor, x-rays, anti-inflammatories, paracetamols and referrals to physio. And I never really recovered from that injury. I had a, a second, uh, a third injury when I went back. I ended up going back to work about four or five months later. There was a lot of pressure at the time around return to work and the fact that people with back injuries are much better off at work. Um, and I went back to work probably 95% fit and, again, uh, in a order to try to regain my life, um, the very first shift that I had going back to work, client fell, bent down to pick him up, and that was the end of me, really. Um, so we're out in the community, and people who do, do care work in the community understand you don't have lifting hoists in the middle of a park. <laughs> You've got to do everything yourself. Um, so... At that stage, I had started to try other treatments. I'd been trying physiotherapy, myotherapy, uh, Chinese massage therapy, deep tissue therapy, and almost anyone that had therapy in their nameplate, I'd been there and tried it. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't getting any, any relief at all. Um, and were you still working now? Or I was, yeah, I was still working. Um, I had a period of probably six months at that time where um, I uh, stopped working as an attendant carer. I couldn't see myself 
doing that work. So I retrained and probably had two years of retraining and looking for work as a social welfare officer or a family support worker, um, where I was still able to work with people but not do the hands-on care and lifting work that, that was required. So I ended up in 1995 moving my family by now. I had, we had um, my first daughter and my son who was about four months old old at that stage. We left Melbourne, went to Yarrawonga and moved house and I started working as a social welfare officer at Yarrawonga. I did that for 11 years. And during that time, I had full-time work and I was also in quite a bit of pain. So I would be sitting on a one of those big exercise balls most of the time, um, did a bit of moving at work, and if I ever went on a conference or training, I'd be lying down in the in the training room. I'd bring a hot water bottle with me and a pillow, and I'd lie down. Um, and just just to be clear on time frames, yep, eighteen nineteen initial injury, early thirties you'd had second injury, yep. And my third injury, yeah, and then I retrained. Oh, okay, and then and moved, then to, Yarrawonga. moved to Yarrawonga. In so 95. by this point, you're sort of how old? Oh well, uh, I would have been thirty-five. Okay, yep. yep, thanks. So you're still managing to work, but you've just got some pretty like management strategies that you're just utilising. Yeah, yourself I was to getting survive. weekly treatment. Yeah, um, and uh, from physiotherapy and massage therapy, um, I was now. I'd added to my regime of of treatment. I was lying down a lot with hot water bottles, painkillers, and oh, painkillers here, pills, popping pills. What would you? Yeah, mainly paracetamol at this stage. Um, Just all the time. Yeah, all the time. Um, I'd also been prescribed Valium, so I'd I'd dabbled in using Valium. Um, Couldn't really work and use that at the same time, Um, and did a lot of lying down with hot water bottles and, and restricting my movement and and restricting doing anything that would exacerbate, exacerbate my yeah, pain. Sure. Uh, so I started to have a more sedentary lifestyle at that stage. Um, and I worked through from 95 until 2013. Uh, in that time frame, I was slowly reducing hours. I was having more time off work. And towards the end of 2013, I was really in a lot of pain and by then unable to work. And that's and a long period. That's nearly 20 years you were working yeah, and managing it. Yeah, and you're now like yeah, early 50s yeah, at that yeah. point. And what what was happening in my life at that stage was I was working for a Medicare local and I was having I – I, I was based – my office was based in a medical super clinic, so I had daily access to doctors um, and – at that stage, I was really trying to delve into why the heck am I still in pain? Uh, what else can be done to wipe this pain out and give me a life? Um, 
And what the doctors were doing were, were then adding tramadol and opioids to the to the mix, treatment mix. So it's just stronger painkillers? It's strong, stronger painkillers with, with an opioid base. And uh, I was seeing a rheumatologist. I was having nerve pain, taking medication for that. Uh, so I was on about six pills at that stage um, and really seriously reducing my hours to almost nothing to the point that... Um, in 2013, I, I, I lost my job at the Medicare local um, and I was having a lot of st- stress in my life. Uh, it was quite a stressful time going through the breakdown in my relationship. I'd been married for 30 years at that stage. Um, I ended up, um, long story short, divorcing uh, my first wife and getting away from what was an incredibly stressful home environment. So going walking alongside that increasing stress was an increasing reliance on medication and treatment and trying to find out what was wrong and what could fix what was wrong. What was the source of my pain and what are we going to do about it? And that really is a medical focus. Right through that, those 20 or so years, there was no real effort made to understand what else was going on in my life apart from what was wrong with my tissues. Issues with tissues were being explored with CT scans, blood tests, MRI scans, Referrals to neurologists and orthopedic surgeons, you know. And was that throwing anything up? Like, was that giving any sort oh, of. It gave me some diagnosis stuff. Was that, I um, mean, at the time, was that help? I imagine you, how you see that now is different, but at the time, was it helpful to sort well, of see you were. At the time, it was reinforcing. As I look back on that time, it was reinforcing the approach of. Let's find out what's wrong with you yeah. and let's see what we can do to fix it. Do you need some surgery? Do you need a new medication um, to attack that problem yeah. and deal with it? Um, rather than what else is going on and understanding all of the stress that was in my life um, and helping me to get some help with that. And pain um, in the context of your yeah. life rather than just... Yeah. Yeah. So it was... Per- being looked at and view, and that looking at and viewing myself as as a person with something going wrong that was causing pain determined a certain response, and so I was getting specialists to do lots of different investigations to, and all they were doing is ruling out what wasn't wrong rather than yeah. discovering what was sure. not working. So that was how life was uh, for me leading up to really examining for myself what is going on now. And just before you do move on. Yeah, sure. Like what would you have – you're not painting a very um, enjoyable picture there – 
what would you have rated your quality of life at that point? Oh, my quality of life was um, right. It couldn't have got any worse, really. Yeah. I mean, there was no enjoyment. There was no employment. There was a lot of distress, serious, serious distress. And um, you've lost your relationship at I'd this lo- point. Well, yeah, and I was wor- working through it. I was trying to, to have a, a more effective marriage and went to four different marriage counsellors and some really good people. So you're putting in the work. Like you, and I, I, so you're working I threw everything fronts. I could at it. Um, yeah. And it was a situation that was not going to be resolved. Sure. Um, so I ended up walking away from the marriage um, and seeing myself as a single person in pain. And it was so bad when you talk about a quality of life that I didn't have a job. I'd, I'd taken as much medication as possible and without being comatosed all the time. Um, I tried uh, steroid injections in my back. Um, I'd had th- a series of three of those over 18 months. And the last one, I couldn't get off the table. My legs just went, one of my legs went like, felt like it was Play-Doh. It was all rubbery and numb. And the team that were doing that procedure were quite worried um, about what what had happened and, and that adverse uh, response. And um, so to, to sort of sum up how, how bad it was, my I was starting to develop a plan to sell up yeah. and go into a retirement village with a nursing home attached so that uh, I had this one-bedroom unit with no garden, to speak of, um, somewhere to basically lie down and 24-7 and watch TV. And that's how I saw myself managing my pain. At, at 55? At, oh. Yeah, about, about 53 at that stage I was looking at that. Um, and I, I actually had gone to make, make inquiries about how to go through that process only to discover that you needed to be 55 to qualify for that type of arrangement. So um, that gave me a two-year window where I then started to question what else I could do because I'd thrown everything possible medically at this problem and I was in more pain and in more distress than I'd ever been, and I couldn't throw any more. I couldn't take any more medication without really seriously risking my life, Um, and I was having falls, and that's not a good career move for someone. Um, I've got some bone conditions that that are quite, you know, fragile, so I really had to take a serious look at, well, what am I going to do here? If I can't take more medication, and what am I going to do to have a life and have one where I can, where it can be different? Yeah. So that's that's really uh, that point in my life where I started to question what else can I do.
That's the end of chapter 1. In chapter 2, you'll hear about the learnings which changed Trevor's life.